Hello and welcome to another episode of Known. I am your host, Mandy McDonald, and today's guest is actually a repeat guest. My friend Jess of Jess Plus the Mess was actually on episode four of this podcast. She joined us then to talk about her first book, Sunlight Burning at Midnight, and she told us all about her story of her first husband's death and blending a family and raising a child with profound special needs. And this time she's back to tell us more about a documentary she's working on about caregivers and her latest book that is now available called Blended with Grit and Grace. So she's going to tell you all about that, but I just want to tell you first, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following and interacting on social media. As you all know, that is important for many reasons. One of those reasons being I appreciate the feedback, and I'm just really happy that you want to be in community with me and my guests. It means a lot. So if you are not already following me, you can find me easiest way by going to my website mandymcd.com or find Mandy McDonald on Facebook or Instagram and Twitter which I completely forgot how to do apparently so you're not going to find much there yet but anyway that's enough about that here is my conversation with Jess all right so Jess you're back (laughs) I am back you were one of my very first episodes And my first episode, that was somebody I didn't personally know yet. So I think it's really fun that you're back and updating us. And I know a lot of things have changed. Um, Anyone who doesn't know who you are or hasn't heard your story before, there's a book (laughs) that you've written, um, episode number four of this podcast, and you have your own podcast. So there are lots of ways to get the backstory if you don't already have it. But I would love to hear your story since the last time we talked. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, just thank you so much for having me again. Um, I always enjoy a good conversation with you. And yeah, the whole backstory is basically in my memoir, Sunlight Burning at Midnight. And since we talked last, I was living in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, we had just moved toward Nashville for my son, Lucas, who is 16 years old and has profound special needs. And the goal in moving towards Nashville was that we thought we could find more resources for him um, as he aged and just getting stronger and more aggressive. And we were understanding and realizing that this life was really difficult um, Mm -hmm. because he's one of eight children as well. So we made that move and sadly discovered that the South overall just is not the place to be for resources. And in fact, you know, the whole nation really struggles with providing special needs families with what they need, but there are states that are much better at it. Mm -hmm. And just decided, honestly, in the middle of a quarantine, um, a global pandemic with eight kids and a Lucas who's nonverbal and was screaming every day to go to school and we couldn't do anything about it. And my husband and I looked at each other and we were like, we can't do this anymore without the support of friends and family. We need to either move back to Oklahoma where my husband's from or Mm -hmm. Michigan, because that's where I'm from. And that's where our family support systems are. And we explored both options and Oklahoma doesn't have anything in terms of resources for families. And Michigan does have quite a bit. So we made the decision to uproot our family yet again. And we're in the middle of that right now. We're living in a temporary house. (laughs) Um, We are building 
an accessible home for Luke, our dream house. It should be absolutely wonderful when it's all said and done. But it's seven months away. And um, in the middle of quarantine, I wrote another book called <laughs> Blended with Grit and Grace, worked on a documentary project that I have a passion for called Unseen, which will explore the mental health crisis among special needs caregivers, mm -hmm. and was uh, contracted to write a third book. So that will be releasing February, 2023. So you've just been doing nothing this whole nothing. time. <laughs> no, people are like, how do you accomplish so much? And I think what I want to say is when you have a child with profound special needs, it's really difficult to get out into the world mm -hmm. because he doesn't handle that well due to sensory issues. And so we stay home a lot. There's a lot of isolation. So when you're home a lot, I'm a very creative person. I'm looking for creative outlets to, so I'm not just sitting around, you know, watching Netflix all day long. I'm right. writing or working on something or, but it's not that like, oh my goodness, you're superwoman. It's just, we're home a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to fill in those, that space somehow. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the documentary first, because last time we talked on the podcast, um, you shared a little bit about the documentary and that was something in the works. So tell us more about what that, what that looks like. Yeah, that was a dream that started when we lived in rural Tennessee, um, prior to moving towards Nashville. And, um, my husband just started having these panic attacks that resembled heart attacks and ended up in ER three times mm. because of the exhaustion and isolation. And we were just an island out there, just mm -hmm. hacking away, um, pursuing this dream of a simple life, which really wasn't all that simple when you throw in, you know, profound autism and special needs and eight children and it just piled up. So yeah. He ends up in ER three times and they say, no, you're just having panic attacks, lost 30 pounds in a month. Um, oh, and that's when we started going, you know, if we're so desperate for a break and we're so desperate for respite, there has to be other families out there who are also equally as desperate, mm -hmm. which led to me finding um, the nonprofit called the Lucas Project mm -hmm. for starting that. And then it, it also, I've always had this dream of like somehow relaying our struggles to the general public. And I think my medium of choice has always been writing, but I thought there has to be like another way to sort of peel back the curtain and expose the difficulties of our lives. Because I do believe that society wants to help, but they can't help if they don't know. Yeah. So to sort of peel back that curtain and that's where the documentary idea started to take shape. Um, wasn't exactly sure what the topic was going to be, but I reached out to a few local filmmakers in Nashville, had a few meetings and landed on a husband wife team. Um, he's the filmmaker. She's the producer. And this all was about three years ago and it was just a perfect connection. And we decided that the topic needed to be caregiver mental, mental health. Um, as these stories come to the surface, you know, in the news about um, parents taking matters into their own hands or doing harm to themselves or doing harm to their children because they just never got a break and they yeah. just had a mental breakdown. Um, we just thought if there was a way to bring these stories to the light so that society could know, um, then it might be life-changing for families mm -hmm. like mine. So the first episode will focus on my family and us sort of chasing this unicorn idea of resources and support and finally saying, you know what, we're not going to rely on the government anymore. We need to go back to 
our friends and family mm-hmm. who do care about us, who will fill in those gaps. And um, so I'm super passionate about this project. I think, like I said, it will be life-changing. It'll be controversial, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. But anything in life worth doing has a little bit of controversy attached to it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we'll just see where it goes. So in the process of creating that, going back to friends and family, while processing what you're trying to communicate through the documentary, like how did that change how your family functions or, or has it yet? I guess I'm asking like a self-discovery kind of question. Like what, what did you learn from your own work on this documentary? Well, I think through the work on the documentary and also the quarantine just made us very aware that we are desperate for community Mm. and to create that community in a place where you're not from, like neither Ryan nor myself was from Tennessee and to create that from scratch with profound special needs and eight children was very, very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And we needed to go back where we had that built in community already and just realizing we can't do this life alone. That became so crystal clear as we were hunkered down in our houses for like a year, Um, the isolation and the exhaustion. And it started to feel like a tomb, honestly, Mm -hmm. just, and I think the whole world can kind of relate to that feeling like the walls caving in but the whole world is now getting back to normal, whereas special needs families don't necessarily ever escape that feeling of isolation and the walls caving in because it is so difficult for families like ours to have community and to do normal things that other families participate in. I think that's such a profound point because there's so much talk about like the depression and anxiety and loneliness that everybody has felt over the last year and a half and how good it feels to come out of that. But then, yeah, that gave us a glimpse into what it's like for a family with special needs or people who live alone and, you know, have fears of going out in public or, you know, just all the different ways that people are always isolated like that. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, that kind of gave us all an awareness and a, a little understanding of what that's like. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I hope so. Like, I hope it brought that awareness to the surface and that people will take something from that and at least Mm -hmm. reach out to the the families that they're aware of in their communities. Yeah. And even if people don't realize (laughs) that they learned that yet, they did. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, people like you putting out a documentary or books or like talking about it now, I think maybe that'll, that'll help people realize that that's what they learned. So you mentioned the Lucas Project, and we talked a lot about that last time. How or have you been able to do much with the Lucas Project while everybody was quarantined? Right. Like how do you provide <laughs> respite during a quarantine? Well, we are um, redefining respite, actually. And what we did during quarantine was send care packages mm-hmm. to families nationwide, just a little pick-me-up um, with you know, luxury items that maybe they wouldn't buy for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, We also provided ICU baskets to mamas sitting Mm -hmm. in ICUs with their children, you Mm -hmm. know, in hospitals. Um, We would drop off numerous baskets and the hospital staff would hand them out to these moms. Um, We're also about to um, unveil a brand new website, which will have a really cool respite initiative. I can't wait for the world to see this. It's going to be life-changing, but 
yeah, we haven't been able to provide like actual respite. So it's just mm-hmm. redefining that. And then um, we also offer respite grants to communities interested in starting a respite chapter. So it's just been thinking outside the box and trying to figure out how can we at least say to caregivers, we see you, mm-hmm. like we see the hard and holy work that you're accomplishing. And all this, although this might not, this care package doesn't fix all of your problems. It's just a little something. And mm-hmm. I think that's what caregivers often want is just to be seen mm-hmm. and validated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm the mother of one child who is typically developing and that's hard sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and when moms who are a few steps ahead of me just say like, yeah, it's hard. That means a lot to me. So I can right. only imagine doing this in isolation with a child that needs way more from me than my son already does. Like I, I just, I just can't imagine the, the loneliness and the exhaustion mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's really cool that you've been able to find a way to stay connected to those people. Mm-hmm. So those of us who like me, you know, we're not living in that world. And so it's easy to kind of forget about it a little bit. Um, and it's really hard to know, like, how do I help? I don't, I don't know. That's such an unknown world for me. I don't know what to do to help. So I just don't. Mm-hmm. What do we do? How do we be part of that? I think you just offer your gifts, whatever that is. Um, and it can be as simple as a meal. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're part of a special needs family, your to-do list is never, ever, ever completed. And just to even have like a meal checked off there. Okay. My family is getting a home cooked meal. Or I often say like, if you, if you're not comfortable actually providing respite and I, I give grace to a lot of people because if you're not comfortable with special needs. I understand that. But if you cut hair for a living, offer this family like free haircuts in their home. Yeah. It's so hard to like take the whole crew, especially the child with special needs and go out into the world and accomplish this. Or like if you're a masseuse, offer this mom like an in-home massage or I don't know if you're a mechanic, (laughs) offer to show up and like change the oil in the vehicles. Mm -hmm. Like we all have these gifts and there are families in every single neighborhood in America. I mean, they're, you're probably not aware of them or maybe you are, but there are these families and it's just Mm -hmm. reaching out and saying, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. Or maybe not even saying that, like, I'm, I want to bring you a meal, lasagna or tacos. Yeah. But you know, don't let them say no, because they probably will say no, because Mm -hmm. they've been in survival mode for so long that I think the instinct is just, I'm fine. You know, I don't need anybody, but we do. So (laughs) yeah, we all need somebody. Right. So I'm glad you said that, like every neighborhood. So I'm kind of telling on myself here. Ever since we talked to the first time, um, there's a family that lives a couple of blocks down the street from me, and I have noticed that they have a child with special needs. Um, I've seen them, you know, coming home, going out to the car or bringing her inside from the car. And every time I go by, like, there's just something in me that's like, you need to do something for them. And I haven't. <laughs> And I, because I'm like, well, what do I do? If I knock on the door and say, Hey, I've noticed you have a child with special needs. Is that rude? Is that inappropriate? I don't know. Do I slip a note in their mailbox that just says, Hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. But 
who's going to be like, oh, stranger, let me call you and tell you what I need. Right. What do I do? What's, what's the approach? <laughs> I think as special needs parents, we're okay with bluntness. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're pretty blunt. And I don't know if it were me and somebody showed up at my door with like a plate of cookies or some banana bread and just said, you know, I've noticed that you have a child with extra needs. And if I can ever be the hands and feet of Jesus, or you don't even have to put Jesus in it. You know, if I can Mm -hmm. ever help you in any way, shape or form, I would be happy to. I think just starting to form that relationship, I would not be offended at all if somebody said something like that to me. Um, And I don't know if you're feeling a nudge towards doing something like that. I think there's probably a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's been my thought the last couple of weeks when I drive by and think about it. I'm like, okay, God, like I, I hear you <laughs> tell right. me to do it. So there's, yeah, there's something there I'm supposed to do. So, okay. I mean, everybody likes cookies or banana yeah. bread or, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I can bake, I can make them something. Right. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. Perfect. I love it. Thanks. Okay. Let's talk about your move because last time we talked, you were in Nashville in, in the Nashville area. And now you're way further north. <laughs> so what's going on? I am, I am like my husband said, you got your, gl- your glow back. Um, I think when you live without community for so long, which is what we did for probably about two years, honestly, just mm-hmm. between Luke um, ended up in ICU for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, and then, we went into lockdown two Mm. months later and then no school. And so for like a year, we were just like absolutely famished for community and this move. I mean, I'm home again, so I love it. Like this is where my people are. This is where my family is. This is where my friends are. And, you know, even my family is even a little bit scared of helping with Luke Mm -hmm. because there's just so many unknowns but they help with the other seven kids. Yeah. So even to have some of that, you know, taken off our plates, like for example, um, last night, my 14 year old daughter had this dance thing at school, this competition thing, and it was going to go late seven to nine o'clock. Well, that's a really difficult time for our family because we're Mm -hmm. getting kids to bed. And she reached out to her grandma and grandpa and said, can you come watch me and then bring me home? And we didn't have that. We just didn't have any options. And Ryan and I relied so heavily on each other. And then it was just like, we don't have to do this anymore. We need to go back home, like one of our homes. And um, it's been life-changing already. I have three people who provide respite for Luke already. And I've only been here for like two months. And we pay them. We pay them well. But we couldn't even find that where we were. And I think a lot of that stems from we were strangers, like in that land. And we're not strangers here. So... Mm. People know me. They know Luke. It's it's a more comfortable feeling, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels so good to be home. <laughs> well, I'm happy. So for good. You. Thank you. <laughs> that is, you're further away from here. <laughs> yep. Um, but there, yeah, like there's being, something about going home, yeah. you know, for people. Yeah, I mean, like the title of my podcast, like you want to be where you are known, mm-hmm. and I think part of being able to serve. For, for the people around you to be able to serve your family, it helps them to to know you. Because mm-hmm. um, even if they don't know 
And this is my perspective. I can't speak for everyone. But to me, it seems even if they don't know Luke, because he's been away, they know you. And that just adds another layer of comfort when things do get confusing or what do I do with Luke? Like there's, there's more comfort in asking you, like, how do I handle this? Or, or I can't do this. Help me figure this out. Well, like I mentioned, when he was in ICU for six weeks, we sat there for six weeks and not one person like came to visit us or Mm -hmm. reached out. I mean, we were members of a church too. And it was just like, oh, this is, this is not what church means. This Mm -hmm. is not what community means. And now like knowing, okay, if Luke ends up in that situation again, we have family and friends who Mm -hmm. can fill in those gaps with the other kids and fill in the gaps with Luke, like sitting there at the hospital with him. It was always like me or Ryan passing each other and trying to work and like put food on the table for the rest of our kids and take care of the other kids. So Mm -hmm. Just having that safety net of people who can surround us and, you know, and that's what I think every special needs family needs is some sort of safety net or a tribe to surround them. Yeah. I was just talking with a friend last night who was very recently diagnosed with cancer and is about to start treatment. And she was like, how? And they actually lived out of state and moved back right before she was diagnosed. And we were like, okay, God, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. thanks for that timing. Cause they're, neither one of them are from here, but this is home. Like they lived yeah. here before. This is home. And she was just like, we're all just blown away that she's here. But then she was saying last night, how does anybody get through something like this without community mm-hmm. and without God? Like how, how does anybody get through anything without that? You just, you can't, we need each other. Mm-hmm. You have to have other people, like no matter how hard you try to do it yourself, you, j- you can't, you right. have to have community. It's so An important. online community is not the same thing. No. It's a start. And I know a lot of special needs moms rely very heavily on online communities because mm-hmm. we are so isolated yeah. within our homes. But I can tell you, like, even now having been here for like two months, I get together with a friend every week and my whole countenance is like completely changed. Like we need those connections with people. And I, I would just suggest to any special needs mom, even listening to this, pursue it at all costs. And Mm -hmm. if you need to move, then you need to move, but your life depends on it. It really does. Yeah. And I think that's true for anybody. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Pursue community. Because even if you feel like you don't need them now, sometime in your life, there's going to be something that you're going to need other people for, for sure. All right. So let's talk about your new book, Blended with Grit and Grace. And what what is that about and who needs to read it? That is um, basically our stories from living in rural America. Mm -hmm. Um, We lived, we decided in 2013 to uproot our lives from Michigan and (laughs) run away to the middle of nowhere in rural Tennessee (laughs) where we bought a big old house that needed complete renovation on 30 acres of land. And we just hunkered down and we gardened and raised chickens and, you know, pursued the simple life, yeah, <laughs> which isn't all that simple. Um, and it was a really good life. And we needed that period of time. Um, that was about five years 
to blend our family. Um, you know, Ryan and I had been widowed and he had three young children. I had four and we came together and there were 22 grandparents and everybody like sort of had an opinion about our life and what we were doing and what we should be doing. And our response was basically to run, a, run away to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and it worked. It served its purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, we became a family out there. We had to rely very heavily on one another and we blended, but it's just our stories of what worked, what didn't work, what we majorly screwed up, what, (laughs) you know, joys and trials and triumphs and everything. But the underlying message to the whole thing is to just keep living. Like there's a time to wallow and to wrestle and to deal with, you know, whatever injustice you feel like you've been dealt in life. But then there's a time to begin to move forward towards life again and taking those baby steps towards something that's sustaining and life-giving. And that's, that's just what we keep doing. And now, you know, movement towards Michigan, because that's (laughs) what our family needed. Yeah. So how is Luke doing? He will be 17 in August. Um, We are going to have summer school here in Michigan that's something that we haven't experienced in seven years. So that mm-hmm. will be life-changing, mm-hmm. I think, um, because he thrives on structure. Mm-hmm. He, it's hard. I'm not going to lie and say that everything's really, you know, rosy. And right. he's going through puberty. He's 17. He's incontinent. He's primarily nonverbal. He needs assistance in every aspect of his life. And I lose sleep because I don't know how much longer I can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, Last weekend, I wrote a very vulnerable post about how he lashed out at me when he didn't want to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. He pulled my hair out of my head and scratched my arms because he wanted to play his iPad. And that's all he wants to do. So if you try to make him do something that he doesn't want to do, his reaction is to lash out. Mm -hmm. But there's a fine line there. Like, honestly, he could need a life-saving brain surgery and he wouldn't want to go. He would want to sit and play his iPad. Yeah. And so as a caregiver, you pick him up, you put him in the car, you strap him in and you say, no, I'm your mom. And I know better than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and cognitively he's at about a nine month level. So it's like reasoning with a man who can't reason like as a typical 16, 17 year old. So, mm-hmm. and it's hard to share those truths sometimes because as a mom, you put that out into the world and some people don't like what you have to say and you get crucified. And, um, but that's, you know, the name of the game and it is what it is, but, um, he's sweet, but (laughs) there's a lot, there is a lot that goes into raising him. Yeah. I feel like I don't have like adequate responses, (laughs) you know? Sorry. No, you're, it's not you. It's, it's just, like, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I also don't want to be like, what's the other, what's the opposite of that? Like, oh, that's, that's not, you know, like, I don't. Right. Just have faith or God, yeah, will, yeah, I mean, like, some pat answer, like, and I do, I have faith and my right. heart, my heart wants him to land. And I do have a particular residential facility in mind, even where I would love for him to land. We mm-hmm. toured it. We felt a peace. But they have to accept him. He has to be a good fit for them. You know, so many things. There's waiting lists. There's 
on and on and on. So there isn't really an answer. And I see a similar look when I talk to other people too, like, how do, what do we do? How do we help? (laughs) You know? And it's, it's my journey. It's, it's my road and it's my job to continue to walk forward in obedience, but it is the job of others, I think, to surround families like mine and to be the body of Christ Mm -hmm. and to help lift our burdens a little bit. And there's a part of me that wants to be encouraging to you. Like what I, what I see of you is what you are willing to put out Mm -hmm. on social media or through your podcast or your writing and I can look at that as a whole and say, you're doing such a good job. And, you know, oh, that picture of Lucas and Josh is cool hanging out mm-hmm. together is so sweet. And oh, that, that looks like progress to me. And, but I don't know. Like I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm hearing what you're saying about how hard it is. And I'm imagining how hard it would be and how much I would want to not be doing it anymore <laughs> if yeah. I was in your shoes. But I don't actually know. And there's guilt even saying that. Like I've said, I don't want to do this forever because a yes to Luke forever is a no to the rest of my family. Yeah. Because Luke takes so much. But it's, I guess, having faith that God will open doors Mm -hmm. when the time is right. And we do want that. We want this residential option for him in Mm -hmm. the future so that we can say yes to the rest of our family more and grandchildren. And it's hard to say that yes when you're, caring for somebody like Luke um, and giving myself permission to even say, I don't really want to do this forever. If there, I will, if I have to. Right. But if there is another option, Mm -hmm. that would be something I would prefer to pursue. And there have to be other options for your, I mean, your mental health, of course. But you know, what if something happens to you and you can't physically lift him anymore? Or, you know, what if, and I'm about there. Yeah. I mean, I mean he's grown That man. haunts me. Right. I mean, to pick him up. I mean, that's a surge of adrenaline, but I'm going to pay for it the next day. Yeah. My back is going to hurt. And just understanding those limitations even. Mm-hmm. Um, but it again, like we all have something. And I often yeah. refer to it like the Apostle Paul talks about the, the thorn in his side. And I mm-hmm. wouldn't say that Luke is like a thorn, but he does keep me humble. Mm-hmm. And keeps me relying on Christ daily, like for daily manna yeah. and not looking past today. Mm-hmm. And I hope that doesn't come across as like a pat answer because no. there isn't an easy answer. No. Is- I don't, it's, it's not a pat answer at all because you're literally living that out. Like those of us who, you know, oh, I just, need enough for today so I can, you know, get my Starbucks order correct on my right. way to work. Um, <laughs> which, I mean, not to belittle anybody's, right. you know, Journey. prayers for the day or anything, but you are really living out really hard stuff and having to actually rely right. on, on Christ every day to do There are people too who have much harder stories than mine. Right. So it's, it's, I think it's just being faithful to Mm -hmm. what you've been called to do and there will be blessing. And I do believe that I think, you know, I do, I'm not perfect by any means and I do get angry, Mm -hmm. but I've been faithful in doing what I've needed to do with Mm -hmm. Lucas 
And I don't know what that blessing is going to look like. Maybe one of my books will do fantastic and I'll have the financial means to do whatever I need to do for Lucas in the yeah. future. Or I don't know what that looks like, but it's, I think, just moving forward in faith mm -hmm. and trusting that if I get to the point where I physically cannot care for him, the right answer will present itself. Mm -hmm. What do you think or what do you know Lucas can understand about faith? I don't know that. I, my belief has always been that Lucas is probably closer to heaven than most of us mm -hmm. because, you know, the story about Enoch walking with the Lord and that's what I see in Lucas is he just walks with the Lord. He doesn't have all the garbage that the rest of us mm -hmm. have. Like he doesn't have the cares of the world like we do. He doesn't care about stuff that weighs us down. He doesn't care who's in office or <laughs> like yeah. about the, the latest and greatest Nike shoes or he doesn't care about any of that. And when he will sing like hymns of praise, which he loves, um, oh. You just see like this, like he's there, he's in the throne room and because he doesn't have all that extra stuff weighing him down. So although he doesn't like understand, I don't think like faith and Bible stories and he's just walking with his savior. He knows more than we do. <laughs> yeah. Like he's, he's there. He yeah. doesn't need us to like witness to him or he doesn't need to get baptized or he's mm -hmm. just, he's just walking with Jesus. Glad I asked you that. <laughs> Needed to hear and, that. And then in, in that regards, like we should be the ones who are pitied. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, it makes me think of like when Jesus says, you know, let the little children come to me and, you know, the Bible talks about being like children. Um, I think about children in general, but especially children like Luke or children who live for a few days before they die or like they, their only care is the basic needs and our right. basic need is care. right. And they don't have the words for it and they don't have the, you know, the deep theological understanding that we have. Exactly. It doesn't really matter. But they have the thing. Like, mm -hmm. you know. The they, thing. The golden just, nugget. Yeah. yeah. They just know the thing mm -hmm. and that nothing else really matters. Right. It's that childlike faith. And yeah. what Jesus has to say about people who try to hinder that or screw it up. Or he's got some pretty harsh words. Yeah. <laughs> Don't blow it, people. Right. <laughs> yeah. Even though we might look at, like you said, like we're the ones to be pitied. Like we might look at somebody like Lucas with pity, but I mean, he's, I would think in his heart, he's probably feels like he has it pretty good. Mm -hmm. And I would say too, people often look at caregivers like me with pity, mm -hmm. but I would say too, the caregiving journey has changed me so much and has given me an eternal perspective. So even if I'm like, okay, I have to do this for 60 more years or whatever. Yeah. Okay. It's a drop in the bucket. Like yeah. be faithful, run your race. There will be blessing this side of eternity or beyond. And mm -hmm. I do, I do have faith that, that, that that's the truth. So yeah. we only live one life and I get to live it like serving the least of these and yeah. 
I think it's just sort of changing perspectives sometimes. But again, I am not always graceful and pleasant. <laughs> and sometimes I'm kind of ragey as I'm <laughs> changing like another diaper from my 17 year old man. Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously, Lord. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that was something I was thinking about earlier. Like, I can't remember exactly what you were talking about, but I was thinking, how often is she angry? Because, and I'm not really a naturally angry person. Like it takes a lot to get me really angry, but I would be really angry. Like, like your whole story would make me angry if I lived that. And so the fact that you can be not angry sometimes. <laughs> it took a, it took a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're going to either live in this place of anger or, or not. And just, I, I just keep coming back to like, this is my story and it's my job to stay obedient. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's my only job is to be obedient to what he's called me to do. So how are the rest of your kids doing? Are they happy to be in Michigan? Most of them, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. we have teenagers, so there's some struggles there. Um, mm. but that's their story to tell, not mine. Um, but for the most part, it's been a really good transition. And I think with time, they will understand that we did this for them as much as we did it for Lucas and ourselves. And we do have so much more time to spend together as a family now because we have respite in place for Luke and he will be in summer school. So I think they're going to see the positives start to add up and go, okay. And they're spending time with grandparents and cousins and we didn't have that before. Mm -hmm. I, okay. I do believe they'll come around. Yeah, they always do. They will, <laughs> right. It always happens. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? I don't think so. I think you covered most of it. Well, good. Right. Well, I'm glad you came back. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I apparently needed this conversation because I have a lot of things that, well, I have a to-do list. I'm going to bake some banana bread. There you go. But I also have a lot of things that I'm thinking about now. Um, Good. That I'm going to gonna think about for a while. Yeah, reach okay. out to that mom. Yes, definitely. And let me know how that goes. I will. I will keep you posted. So because of how your story has evolved since the last time we talked, what do you know about God? That he is God and I am not. <laughs> and it comes back to the same thing I've said numerous times already. It's only my job to obey and move yeah. forward in faith. Yeah. We could all stand to learn that lesson. <laughs> just be obedient. Yep. Just be obedient to what he's called of you. And try to find the joy. You know, yeah. there's, there's a million reasons to be angry, but there's probably a million reasons to be joyful as well. Mm -hmm. To focus on that. That's good. Well, thank you. Thanks for taking time. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And we will link to your new book, the documentary, your podcast, um, all the ways that the listeners can find you. Appreciate it. I'm so grateful that Jess was willing to come back and talk to us again because there's still so much to learn about what caregivers go through, the burnout they experience, the thoughts that are constantly plaguing them about what the future is going to hold, how much longer can I do this, 
We need to be aware of that. And she gave us some ways that we can enter those conversations and find out what the caregivers around us need. And I personally have some homework to do, and I'm going to do it this week, and I'll be sharing that on Instagram just to hold myself accountable, really. And I hope that it encourages some of you to maybe step out of your comfort zone and give something like that a try as well. Make sure you check out show notes and find how you can listen to Jess's podcast, Coffee with Caregivers. Find out how you can watch the documentary once that is released. And of course, order her new book, Blended with Grit and Grace. And if you're not already following her on social media, make sure you start. You'll find all of those links in show notes as well. So again, thank you for listening. If you know somebody who is a caregiver or knows of some caregivers that could use some help, please share this episode with them, tag them on our social media posts, and make sure this story gets spread. So my son and I are learning Psalm 139 together this summer, so I want to leave you with a little bit of scripture from Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed below, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me.